Hello, my name is Mike Grain. Welcome to the University of Arkansas Supply Chain Management Research Council, focusing on on-shelf availability. I'm happy to host this, and we've got a pretty exciting guest today. Steve Statler from Williot is going to be joining us. Williot is a Bluetooth-enabled RFID solution, uh, which allows product to be tracked throughout the supply chain. Join us in progress as we get connected with Steve and hear a little bit about what Williot has to offer the industry. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, I am really excited to have this conversation with Steve. Steve and I have talked a couple of different times before, and and uh, I'm really excited. And frankly, I'm I'm going to be a student today, Steve. I'm gonna I'm gonna learn some stuff because I think we just had a kind of off off camera conversation that says sometimes it's not what you don't know that hurts you; it's what you know that's not so. And I think there's some perceptions around uh, Bluetooth technology that people may not really understand how it works, what what it works for, et cetera. So we're going to introduce uh, Steve here in just a minute. But what I want to do is kind of set context for the audience. Uh, Matt, you're exactly right. This is a this is a conversation on retail. We're going to learn some things. We would ask you to go ahead and if you have any questions or any that you or any builds you'd like to make, go ahead and put those in the chat, and uh, we'd be happy to take those. But uh, as you know, this is a as a session which is focused on on shelf availability, um, things that are on the shelf available for customers to buy, or things that are on the shelf for a associate in a store to pick up for a customer to buy. It's all about that. And when we talk about that, just as a brief context to set some uh, perspective here, I've got some examples here of here's a shelf that looks like it's in pretty good shape. Uh, we definitely see that we have one out of stock product right there, but everything else by the by the normal eye would say it looks in pretty good shape. And Steve and I know, because we've been in this business for a while, we, there's probably some issues here. We've got some situation where we have some labels missing. We've got some issues where these blue boxes, where the prices on the on the shelf and the price at the register are different. Uh, we have some opportunities uh, to take product off of a kind of a down stock or or top shelf thing and put it where it's supposed to go on the shelf when the when it will fit. And then we have items that uh, that are plugged or otherwise the the labels there, the products there, but the product and the label are different. So there, it's the incorrect product is there. Well. Okay, great. That's all interesting. We've talked about that before, but we've talked about like six different ways to measure OSA. One is algorithms, and we've had a series of sessions on algorithms. Uh, we've talked about store audits. Uh, this happens to be field agent, the ability. We've talked to the field agent and the tracks folks before about that capability. We've talked about shelf scanning robots. This is an example of a Badger robot at Woodman's scanning the shelf for auto stock. We've talked a lot about RFID and radio frequency identification and how that's used, particularly in general merchandise and apparel and starting to get in some food categories. We've talked about some of the, uh, in, you know, these shopping, online shopping services like Instacart, where you order something and it's not available. They can indicate that to you on the application. And we've talked about fixed readers. So now we're talking to Williot who is a completely different platform on this. But one of the things I want to make sure we understand, if things are not on the shelf, Steve, there's usually a couple of reasons why. I know these way are oversimplified, but store operations, meaning the product could be sitting in the back room, but not on the sales floor. And last time I checked, we don't sell a lot of stuff in the back room. Could be supply chain. 
could be stuck at the DC, could be the manufacturer didn't order, could be lots of different reasons, or it could be store on hand accuracy. And I think one of the beautiful things that we're going to be talking about here in a minute is the supply chain goes from raw materials through manufacturing, through distribution, to the distribution center, to the retailer, to the store. And this happens to be a Walmart example, but backroom and sales floor of a Walmart store to the customer. The critical part for me is if product is going to move this way, then what has to move the opposite direction is information, right? Information about where this particular product is. So with that, I want to introduce Steve. Um, Steve and I have been working together. He's the CMO at Williot Technology. And Steve, before we jump into the technology stuff, one of the things I always love to, to ask our guests, because we're not only supply chain technology professionals in the retail space, but we're also customers and we shop like every other customer. We order things online and go to pick them up like every other customer. Can you tell you from a personal perspective, from a shopping standpoint, any time where you actually were disappointed, where you ordered something or went in to get something from a store and it wasn't there? I'd love to hear your story. Well, first, Mike, it's a pleasure and a privilege to be on your show. I think it's uh, doing good work. Um, and I love this question because it makes what you're doing, what we're doing personal. Um, and I have actually two that I wanted to talk about briefly, and the, but they both uh, had COVID as the catalyst. And one was, um, you know, during that time, there was a high level of anxiety. And uh, like it or not, we, a lot of us had to get tested uh, but finding the kits was really hard. That was something that really stressed our supply chains. And I remember going online and being very pleased with myself, uh, you know, showing my wife, I'd found that one pharmace pharmacy where I could get the kit. So I got in the car, drove 25 minutes, got to the store, went to the shelf, nothing. And I'm like, oh, have you just run out? It's like, no, no, we haven't had any of these for ages. But the, <laughs> So that was one that made me look really stupid. And I was also very anxious. Um, uh, but the other thing that is more, per even more personal is actually my mother, you know, during COVID, she start, she's in her 80s, uh, mobility is not her strong point. Uh, and so t COVID taught her, along with millions of other people um, to buy online and have the home deliveries, but she struggles with the technology. And it's a source of real, I mean, she's 80, the computer's the internet didn't exist. When, actually, the internet didn't didn't exist when I uh, when I was a kid, but it certainly didn't exist when she was. So she struggles, and when she orders something and it doesn't arrive, she just gets really confused. And you know, for her, uh, this is a lifeline. Uh, and yeah, I, I do her shopping when that doesn't work, but it, it's a source of exasperation and frustration for her. And you know you're you're uh, um, only as happy as your least happy uh, mem member of your family, your kids, and your parents. And so it really upsets me. Yeah, and it, and it does. And and that's a much more personal. When you start talking about your health, or you start talking about food that you put in your body, or medicines you put in your body, you know, I can go to the store and be disappointed because they don't have my printer cartridge. That's one of my favorite examples. They may have a thousand printer cartridges, but the one, the black one for my printer is not available. I get aggravated, but I can quickly get out my phone and order it from Amazon or Best Buy or somebody and have it show it a couple of days later. When you start talking about COVID tests, in, this, in the heat of the pandemic, you can't find those. You start getting panicky. Those are a couple of really, really good examples. Yeah, for sure. So 
a lot of people are very, very new. You've probably probably heard of Willie it before. They've probably seen it on billboards. Uh, you being the marketing person, you've, you've probably seen one of your videos with the back wall that you've done, et cetera. But walk us through it practically. Willia Technology, tell us about Willia and, and uh, how did it come to be about? Well, um, high level, very high level, um, I'll talk in abstract terms, then we'll get to the specifics. We're, we're opening up a, a, a portal between the digital world of AI and chat GPT and the entire physical world. If you think about the power of the internet, it's been bottled up up until now. Really, uh, only a few expensive things are connected. And then RFID did amazing pioneering work with snapshots of, uh, of, of where things are. Uh, but what we're seeing now is the floodgates are opening and it's now a real-time connection between every single thing uh, and immense power uh, that can really help to, I think, make a difference in some really important areas. Uh, getting our supply chains more efficient uh, means lower prices, uh, it means less waste, it's better for the environment. We can solve things like productivity, which uh, our developed world productivity is flatlined. We need it to improve if people like you and me get to retire. Um, and, um, uh, you know, crime and theft and so forth. So there's a lot of opportunities to bring the physical and the digital world together. We'll get into specifics. So that's kind of the vision that the founders uh, had for Williot back in um, 2017, January of 2017. They'd sold their previous company to Qualcomm for hundreds of millions of dollars. That company pioneered a technology called Millimeter Wave, which to grossly simplify is one of the things that makes 5G a lot faster than 4G. So very successful exit uh, and very um, innovative technology uh, that's speeds up wireless in a premium fashion. What they decided, having spent a couple of years handing over the reins in Qualcomm, was that the Internet of Things, this applying the power of the Internet to the physical world, had got into a dead end, a cul-de-sac. Um, and, and really, we had um, done what human beings often do, which is over-engineered the solutions. <laughs> and either the sensors were super expensive or the readers were super expensive. Uh, and the result was we had the internet of expensive things in some cases, or just a kind of very coarse grain snapshot of the way things were, not the way things are. And the reason was that, you know, readers cost thousands of dollars. And so you ended up having a lot of handheld reading of this RFID technology. The evolution of, uh, of radio frequency identifier tags, these stickers with antennas that people see hanging on apparel labels, the, the cost of those had gone down and that was very successful. But when the readers are expensive, you end up having the kind of situation, it's a bit like photography, when you used to have these black and white photographs that were generational photographs because the cameras were big and complicated and expensive. And you often wondered, well, what was their life really like? And But you didn't know because they only had a few photographs every year. Now we have like 4K streaming video of every moment of our lives. And maybe we know more than we, we would really like. But that is the era that we feel like we're entering in as you get both very low cost tags. This is one of the ones that we enable. Um, uh, and... Uh, an ambient IoT, ambient meaning it's everywhere, it's all around, it's pervasive. 
uh, where every radio can start to read those things. So it's not just the handheld readers, it's the Wi-Fi access points, it's the uh, radios that are in your appliances, your fridge, your washing machine, your smart speaker, uh, your phone, uh, and that world where everything can have an identifier and everything can read it is going to give us a level of visibility, which means that you'll never have to worry about losing your glasses, your passport, uh, your food will be safe. Um, uh, you won't uh, have to worry about uh, theft, counterfeit, all of these hidden overheads. And also, it'll be a way of working on on-shelf availability so that when you go to the store, the thing that you are hoping to get, you can get, and you'll get it without a huge amount of overhead, without huge stock buffers or masses of extra people having to be hired that increase prices. So OSA, but in, in, in a world where um, things are done efficiently, which is at the end of the day what we need if we're going to have prices for everyday people that uh, allow them to live better lives. Oh, I'm, I've uh, lost your audio for some reason. Sorry. Uh, yeah. I had an ambulance go by, so I thought I'd go on mute <laughs> rather than you guys listen to the ambulance that go, went by. Um, so what we've got is a situation where traditional, what we would call RAIN or UFH RFID, put a tag on the product, and let's just say it's a passive tag. The tag is fairly inexpensive, it's somewhere between, I'm just going to give a broad range of a five to 10 cents kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But the readers to capture that, to say, here's where I am to energize and get that feedback is fairly expensive, especially if yes. you move to lots of them and a fixed infrastructure, et cetera. Yes. What you guys have done is I would assume the cost of the tag is a little bit more with Williet, but there's really no reader required because I'm imagining my cell phone, if I have a Bluetooth enabled cell phone, I'm probably energizing that tag and telling you the location of where that is. Is that how that works? Yeah, uh, that's a really good summary. Um, the, the tags are today, we're a bit more expensive, but the the price reduction, you know, Moore's Law, Jeffrey Moore, one of the people that mm -hmm. helped found Intel, predicted that the price of chip technology would uh, halve uh, every 18 months. And that's what we're seeing with what we're doing. So um, uh, next year, our tags will be less than 10 cents. Uh, 18 months after that, you can expect the price to go down. And mm -hmm. uh, and the reason is we're essentially using the same manufacturing process. We're actually working with the same companies to make what we sell. And we call them pixels, William IoT pixels. This is one of them. Uh, it uh, looks just mm -hmm. like a conventional RFID tag. It's got an antenna on the back. It's got a chip that talks to it. Um, one of the differences, it's got a Bluetooth qualification logo and an FCC certification logo. So you've mm. probably never seen a sticker unless you've seen one of these that has that. And uh, those basically mean that they can, the FCC logo means this is pushing data out all of the time. It's uh, capturing energy. It's actually an active radio that is starting the conversation uh, rather than waiting to be talked to. Uh, and the Bluetooth logo just means that it can talk to smart speakers, phones, and Wi-Fi access points, and doorbells, and uh, a bunch of other things that are starting to get radios yeah. uh, in them. So um, these things are made using exactly the same machines that are used to make a RAIN RFID tag. And one of our investors happens to be Avery Dennison, one of the leaders in that space. 
and we work with uh, them and um, their competitors, companies like uh, Identiv and uh, a bunch of other well-known names to make the tags. Uh, mm. And in fact, we uh, our goal is to not make any money from the tags. Uh, we um, sell uh, software as a service, the insights, the triggers that say, oh, um, you're out of stock or, oh, there's a temperature excursion. All of these, unlike regular RFID tags, their temperature sensors uh, later on this year will have humidity sensing. And so it looks the same, but it's I would characterize it as an evolution. We stand on the shoulders of the original RFID pioneers. We use a lot of the same things. And we, in fact, we work with a lot of the same people. The difference is we're using commodity radios rather than these very specialist radios, which were developed with read rates in mind. If you think about, you know, when this technology was first introduced, everyone was really concerned about, can I read a thousand tags quickly? And can I read them very accurately? And so, you know, what we did as engineers is we created these big expensive readers that could say yes. But I was actually at a project review um, at, a, at a, one of our, our largest customer. And they said, I don't care about read rates. I care about visibility. I want 100% visibility. And if I get that with not 99% read rates, but a 90% read rate, because I'm using a reader that costs $25 rather than $2,000, I'm happy because that gives me really high visibility. And it gives it to me without my store associate having to do anything, which mm. is really the uh, the key. Because when the store associate's doing the reading, the process is working properly. The time you want the visibility is when things aren't working properly, uh, when the thing got lost and it hasn't been scanned and it's just kind of sitting there frustrating some shopper who who wants it and uh, thinks that it's in the store. It's just not in the right place. Gotcha. So, so walk us through kind of some practical examples in retail. Uh, is yeah. this primarily supply chain i'm putting these potential tags on cases to flow through the supply chain i know that we had some uh, interesting thing with produce crates uh, of tracking those give us some practical examples yeah. in retail how this technology could be used so it can be used for so many things but we believe the sweet spot is in grocery and case level tracking uh, that can be done automatically uh, and have sensing and the the key driver for because retailers are busy and, and it's okay amazing technology it's a computer the size of a postage stamp it's uh, uh, an arm processor they really don't care they're trying to solve practical problems and the biggest problem that's driving people to move to what we call ambient iot uh, is the uh, is the on-shelf availability problem uh, mm -hmm. and it's uh, the number of nil picks, the, the 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 time when an associate goes to pick a something from a shelf to satisfy a customer, or a customer uh, is is doing that, is in double digit percentage figures, and that's not sustainable when you're competing with the likes of Amazon that had a fresh start. Their entire supply chain was designed with this online use case in mind. And you know the, the the brick and mortar retailers, they have amazing assets, stores that are close to people, human beings that you can talk to, a shopping experience that allows you to touch, but that's super expensive. So how do they compete with the online fresh start retailer? And you know, they can start to um, bring up 
uh, more automated warehouses like the folks at Amazon have. But the but the challenge with that is you have all of the brick and mortar overhead. And uh, if you're doing everything that Amazon has done, then you've got all of that automation overhead or they can um, increase the buffer, you know, start overordering. But that's terrible for the balance sheet and costs go up or they can hire more people. And whilst that's great, it's really hard to hire the people. And that translates to more costs as well. So the technologies that you've been covering uh, on this show are really the the, the route that are going. And this um, solution, because um, it requires so little intervention, and it's more than the, the, the appeal is, yeah, it helps us with OSA, but it actually helps us with the entire supply chain. And it helps to solve uh, some other really key problems like food traceability, food safety. Uh, we have the FDA's uh, FISMA Food Safety Modernization Act, which we have until January the 20th, 2026 to uh, comply with. This is one of the best ways that you can mm. start checking in goods at the case level in an automated fashion and satisfy that. It's not really why our big project started, but now it's there. It's like, man, we've actually got this digital visibility platform that can be used yep. uh, for FISMA. And then lastly, there's a bunch of sustainability things that when you have real-time visibility, you can address. And those are basically um, opportunities to cut waste, um, uh, organizing your flow of produce based on freshness and ripeness, uh, seeing things that are sitting being kept at the wrong temperature so there's so many things you can do but the 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 subject of your podcast is the is is the catalyst and you know grocery is where all of these problems exist but they actually exist in a whole bunch of other industries as well and we are doing work in postal and uh, other um healthcare uh, but grocery is really the sweet spot as far as we're concerned okay Perfect. So I do have a question from my friend, Ten McCraffrey. He's got a uh, question that basically I'll summarize it, but there used to be an expectation for electronic article surveillance, basically those little tags that leave the store. Some, some, some retailers were using a sensormatic tag. Others were using a checkpoint tag. There were two different competing infrastructures. The one that probably suffered the most was people like, Procter and Gamble because they got some product going to a sensormatic customer, some some of it going to a checkpoint customer, etc. When we think about these tags, it sounds like in the food, this probably makes sense for dry grocery, canned vegetables, a lot of stuff that's probably not really RFID friendly anyway. But when we think about things like apparel, a box of blue jeans, we've already got RFID at the item level inside that box. How do we avoid having suppliers have to put a different kind of tag on the outside of the box to track the location of the tag? That That is a, a issue I think we're going to have to continue to think about as industry. Any kind of reaction to that? Yeah, it's a really interesting subject. Um, and first of all, I'd say this is RFID. It's a radio frequency identifier. And so there are, um, there's a world where this can be used um, in, uh, in apparel. And we've done a bunch of work with uh, amazing apparel companies to do real-time visibility of uh, and uh, tracking the flow of apparel. Um, uh, I, I, as I talk to retail customers, their approach to loss prevention um, seems to have evolved. And I, 
I, to be frank, I don't think this can compete. If you, if you want to take that slot and say, I'm going to put a Willio IoT pixel in, in its place, it's not going to do as well at the use case as was designed for these, uh, um, uh, uh, so, some of the technologies which are at a, a different frequency and use different uh, media. So if you do this, you're going to block this 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 tag. So it doesn't mm -hmm. do as well at the the triggering of the alarm that, uh, that goes off as you cross the threshold. What we're seeing is uh, fewer and fewer retailers really think that that approach is the best. For some, it will be. Other many others. What their biggest problem is thinking that they've got the red dress in stock when it actually isn't in stock because you know the sale of red dresses has gone down. Maybe people don't like red dresses in uh, in Arkansas. Well, actually, they do. It's just you you don't have any and you think you've got them. So that real time detection of loss is something that this technology can do uh, a, a good job of. And I think way off in the future. As ambient IoT starts to become pervasive, when um, people are starting to use this technology in their wardrobe, in their pantry to have order replenishment and uh, um, circular approaches to uh, sharing clothing and giving it back and renting it, then, then uh, you, you'll start to see, um, you'll have the concept of tracking products that are going to a destination where the payment hasn't been made and you can say, hey, um, you know, there seem to be like uh, 200 pairs of Levi jeans in this person's uh, uh, home, you know, and they don't appear to have paid for them. Then you can start to track them in the same way as an AirTag from Apple can be used to, uh, to track things. I think we're, you know, a few years away from that. Um, uh, and so the two technologies will coexist. But if what you're focused on is just knowing understanding the inventory implications of theft, then this is a, a good solution um, today. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Steve Statler. Join us again next time as we continue our conversation exploring how Willia can be used in the retail supply chain.